we're going to be continuing our sermon series in the kingdom, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 20. I'm not going to read all of the text uh, for us today together uh, because I want to, uh, to have enough time to explain this very important text. Uh, but this passage today reminds me a lot of the Exodus. And you remember, uh, God's people are enslaved by the Egyptians for many generations, and they're finally released due to the powerful and miraculous works of God. And very soon after their departure, when things started to get a little difficult, uh, the Israelites began to say something along this line. We had it better in Egypt. Why have you taken us into this desert? Why is this so hard? Why is what God has called us to do, which is to go into the promised land, why is it so difficult? We would rather go back to being slaves. Now, this story in particular is one that I relate to a lot in my own life and my own walk with Christ because I have a tendency to have a short memory when it comes to the work of God in my life. And so the kingdom, as we're going to see today, is not like that. The kingdom, number one, we learned, is the reign of Jesus Christ. So everything is under the supreme reign and sovereign reign of Jesus Christ. It is currently that way, and it will be forever that way. The kingdom is also growing robustly under the leadership of our king, and it is ruled by the commands of God. There are rules and laws, and Jesus told us that the kingdom of God is not void of his, of his law, that Jesus is actually the fulfillment of the law. He's not the abolisher of it. And fourth and final, the kingdom has no place, and we'll find this out today, for grumbling or murmuring. Dads, listen in, right? Do any dads like to grumble or murmur? Maybe I should ask the wives or mothers that. I know I do. I am one of the king grumblers of all time. And it's in our nature when things get difficult. And dads, there is no doubt, especially in the culture we live in today, you have a very tough job. Um, and my response, if it was just like a men's meeting, ladies, I'll let you in because uh, this will, will act like it's just a men's meeting. Um, my response to life is going to be hard, men, is grow up and take it like a man, okay? And, and if you grumble and you murmur, I would also say, cry me a river. This is the world's smallest violin playing my heart bleeds for you. Have you heard all those? Okay, I don't need to go on. It's tough. It's extremely difficult. And one of the things I loved about Hunter's uh, uh, sermon, if you will, or time uh, in the Word just before this, is when things get tough, men especially, dads included, love to murmur and grumble and become apathetic about following Jesus. And guys, if I could give you some encouragement, your struggles are going to be short-lived. Your struggles are going to be short-lived. I say this a lot, but Ecclesiastes is true. Your physical body is going to deteriorate. You're going to die. You're going to be raised to new life if you're a follower of Christ. And you will live with Jesus for eternity in heaven with a new, a new body, a new mind, a new spirit. Fully glorified, fully perfected. And you have to, during this short time, act like a man as it talks about in Acts. And you have to go about without grumbling and murmuring the work of the kingdom. So 
I just want to be real with you. And ladies, this is for you as well. We have work to do. It is kingdom work. It is purposeful work. It is the work that God has called us to. And it is only work that can be done by followers of Jesus Christ. We know that good things can be done by people who don't know Christ. But kingdom work, you have to be born again to do it. And then as you do it, you are doing the the work of the king and his kingdom. So we have work to do. And secondly, our reward has already been established. You have an eternal reward. Anything that happens to you on this planet during this life pales in comparison to the reward that is coming. And third, grumbling about our work only shows that we have a short memory and an ungrateful, (coughs) excuse me, even more important, untrustful or distrustful heart. Now, I grew up with five siblings, and if my dad would have pulled what we're going to find out the master in this parable pulled on his uh, people that he hired to do his job, if my dad would have pulled the same thing on us, there would have been a massive rebellion. And because there were five of us, we could have taken him down. Okay, he was a tough guy, but we could have taken him down. Now, it's not because we're right to rebel, but because we have hearts that are entitled and we don't understand the gravity of what our salvation means. And I would point you to last week's sermon on that. And that the kingdom runs best for us when we fully trust our Savior. Now, when we see what the Master does with these people and our entitlement and our ungratefulness, and our murmuring and grumbling, folks, it hinders our mission efforts. Our mission is to go see people made disciples because Jesus has all authority, and this church exists to go make disciples for the glory of God and for His kingdom. There is nothing more important to us and to His church than that, but many times, like the disciples, we'll see We're too busy establishing a packing order in the kingdom instead of being about the business and the work of the kingdom. So how do you live practically in the kingdom of God? The theme of today is live with a grateful heart that wants to save or see lots of people saved, wants a lot of people to come into the kingdom of God and then go about the business of the work of the kingdom. Now, this parable is pretty simple. There is a master of the house. He has a prosperous uh, uh, work in progress. And he goes to the town or to the place where he lives. And he says, I need workers. And he says, it's going to be a long day. You're going to start at 6. You're going to finish at 6. Now, some of this isn't in the text, but that was a general working day of this particular time. Uh, Who works 6 to 6? Okay, God bless you. You're tough. Uh, That's a long day, right? 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., sun up to sundown. If you grew up on a farm, you understand what that means. If you've grown up in the city, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But regardless, long day. He comes and says, will you work for me for a day? They say, sure, what are you paying? He says, one denarius or one denarii. Hey, that's pretty fair. That's a good day's wage. I'll come. And they start working. Three hours later, he goes back to the same place. And he says, I need more workers. Who would like to come and work? And all the other people say, you're a good master of your house. I'd like to work for you. And then he does it at the sixth hour and then at the ninth hour and then at the 11th hour, five o'clock. Like who does work the last hour of the day? Come on. 
you're getting ready for the commute home, you're, you know, you're downloading your favorite podcast. Nobody does work from five to six yet. He says, I need more workers. Uh, some people come and he says, great, I want you to do work for this last hour of the day. And then it's time to get paid. And so they come to him and they say, hey, it's time to get paid. And the master of the house pays the people that came at the 11th hour. Excuse me, got a call. The 11th hour, he pays them first and he gives them a full denarii. The same thing he promised the guys who worked 12 hours. Now that's why I said if my dad tried to pull that on me, I would be upset. Amen? Right? We would get upset about that. That's not fair. How many of us love that phrase? That's not fair. And then he gets to the people at the ninth hour, pays them the same, the sixth hour, the third hour. And then the people that worked all day long get the same denarii as the other guys got. And they're like, wait a second, that's not fair. And they begin to grumble and they begin to murmur. And so there's two teachings I'm going to go through really quickly about this particular parable. And God ends it or Jesus ends it by saying the last will be first and the first will be last. This is the first teaching. God's kingdom is prospering and there is a lot of work to do. There's a lot of work to do. And I'm not talking about your kingdom per se. The work you do, your vocation is a holy calling. Like, I used to love it when people thought that the pastor had the holy calling and then everyone else had just kind of a job. Hey, that's not the way it works. Your vocation, you might be a stay-at-home mom, you might be a business person, you might be whatever it is, that is a holy calling from the Lord. And you are, as a follower of Christ, as you follow Him and obey Him, you are doing, doing the work of the kingdom. And in addition to that work that you're doing during your workday, there is the work of the church that is also the work of the kingdom. Seeing people come to know the Lord and becoming disciples and followers of Jesus to be clear. Now this parable taught uh, was taught as Jesus is getting close to his crucifixion and the disciples, because they're like us, were arguing who would be greatest in the kingdom. And many um, Jews at the time, and maybe even some of the disciples, were upset that the Gentiles were going to be invited into the kingdom. Now according to the definition of what a Gentile is, I'm a Gentile. I'm really glad that Jesus chose to invite me into his kingdom. Amen? Right? Now, some people were very upset about that. And so Jesus tells his disciples in this parable that you're just the first wave of workers in the kingdom, but there are others coming. I loved Andy's uh, sermon a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, because it talks about the kingdom of God is going to be full. We are going to see Jesus in all of his glory, over the period of time that he sees fit, he will reign more and more uh, visibly as we get closer to the culmination of all time. And he will come back and sit on his throne visibly so that everyone will know that he is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now that's happening right now. We, we say it that the kingdom is now, but not yet. So Jesus is reigning but there's work to be done, and therefore there are others coming to do the work. And the reward for the disciples at the beginning of the ministry that they're about to embark on is acceptable to them. 
They say the wage is good enough uh, uh, for them. And it convinces the laborers to put in a full day's work. And they have no problems with that yet. And then the master of the house, three hours later, as I said, and six hours and nine hours, and then right before the, the quitting time, the bell's about ready to go off and the day is done. The master of the house, really important part of this parable, sees others standing, what's the word in the text? Idle. Okay, this is a description of the human condition without Christ. It's saying idleness is uselessness, indifference, and without thought. The point Jesus is trying to make, the human condition is purposeless without Christ. We boldly say that, not because as Christians we want to be superior to those who have not yet received uh, by faith the gift of salvation that God is offering to them. We say it not to be superior. We say it with a pleading urgency, much like what Hunter talked about in Romans 12, chapter uh, uh, chapter 12, verse 1. We beg you to understand that your life will not be made complete, full, whole, and purposeful unless you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's why we exist as a church to proclaim that truth. So the human condition is purposeless without Christ. The purpose of all humanity, therefore, is only found in the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and his kingdom's work. This is why I am so excited about evangelism and discipleship, because the core purpose of our existence on this earth is to see others come into the kingdom, born-again workers, so that they will know what their true purpose is. The rest of the so-called purposes on this earth are really just idleness. Now the master, as I said, goes back these several different times, and at the end, when he's at the 11th hour crowd and he's saying, hey, come work for me just for an hour. His question to them, because they stood idle all day, his question to them, why did you waste your life? That's a paraphrase. Why did you waste your life? I've been sitting here having workers come into my kingdom. You didn't come. Now it's the 11th hour. You know what this represents is, you're about to kick it. Okay, that's, I think, slang for die. Okay? Thanks, Andy. Um, They're about ready to be done. Life is almost over. You know how I know life is almost over? I was fishing yesterday with my two sons, and we were at the Big Thompson River, and I don't know if you've been up there, but there's a massive flood went through there in 2013, and so the banks are pretty steep, and they're full of rocks that you have to climb over to get down to the river to do the fishing. Now, I was fly fishing, so I didn't catch a thing, okay? That's basically fly fishing is for people who need to learn patience, okay? So I learned a lot of that yesterday. My youngest was using a lure, caught four, okay? The fly fishing people didn't do so well. I digress, okay? The point I'm trying to make is, Going down to the river, like when you're 10 or 18 or 13, 13 and 18 are my sons, they're like skipping like an angel on these rocks down to the river. No knee pain, no hip flexor, you know, no stumbling and then having to like 
think to yourself after you squat to kind of undo a hook or whatever, how am I going to stand back up straight? Like there was none of that for them. But for me, that was the reality that this life is short and I don't want the master of the house to come at the 11th hour and say to me, why did you waste your life? But you know what? It is a grace that he does so. And maybe some of you here don't know Jesus Christ and maybe you're not getting close to your physical death, but you're getting close to closing the door once and for all on Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior over the whole universe. And you might walk out of here. This will be the last opportunity that you have to hear this very simple truth. Your only true purpose can be fulfilled only by Jesus Christ saving you and giving you a purpose in his kingdom work. I love how he comes at the 11th hour and he says, are you ready now? Are you ready to come into the kingdom now? If, if so, please do. Now, the second teaching, and I'll get to it real quick, is that God's kingdom is prospering, and yet we still grumble. I, I, like I said, man, I can grumble. I think I grumbled two times before the service even started today. This morning, I can remember a couple things of just thinking, you know, why is this not going the way it should be going? And why isn't that the way it should be going? And why isn't God doing this? And why, you know, we ask those questions. And folks, those questions, they're the definition of grumbling, of murmuring behind the master of the house's back, saying, what is God doing? And why is this so hard? And so the master comes, he makes the payment, as as I told you. The last workers get paid a denarius, the same wage as promised to the first. And what is the first laborer's immediate thought? I think it was this, actually. We're going to get paid a lot more than we were promised because we did more work. Okay? Christian, follower of Christ. I was saved when I was almost four years old. March of 1972-ish. Yeah, 72. I remember it. Jesus saved me. And for all of these years, 45 years, I have known Jesus and he has blessed me and I've tried to at times work and do what I'm supposed to be doing. Many other times I've sinned against him and I've repented and believed and I've gone through. And many times we're tempted as people who've known Jesus for a long time to think, I'm special because I became a Christian before you did. I'm special because I know more about the Bible than, you know, other Christian down the street. I'm special. God should be so happy that I'm in his kingdom. You know what God says? This is what he says. Jesus, the master of the house, pays all of his children the same. It's the same. My sinfulness is the same separating factor as your sinfulness. Jesus is the same sacrifice for your sin, if you will believe, as he is the sacrifice for my sin. And many times when we begin to think my work should count for more than other Christians work down the street, we begin, and this is critically important, we begin to lose sight of our missionary zeal. 
Like we stop, I'll, I'll say it this way, not only do we stop caring about other people coming into the kingdom, we lose our night, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, sleepless nights concerned with zeal to see other people know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Like, we are in a place now, as the church in Western civilization, where we're so comfortable knowing that we've been saved, knowing that we're in the kingdom, we have lost our zeal to see others come to know Christ. That's why I love street evangelism. Because, hey man, if you're going to do evangelism, you might as well start at the deep end of the pool. Okay? And start swimming. Start talking to other people about what Jesus has done for you. Instead of complaining about the wage not being more, our hearts, our minds, our eyes should be focused on those who don't know Christ and wanting them to join His kingdom. Now, they might have thought, man, we should get more. But Jesus, the master of the house, pays everyone the same. Now, then they go from thinking, hey, we're going to get more, to grumbling and murmuring. They complain because they feel a legitimate need had not been met. Now, my dad, um, happy Father's Day, Dad, I'll call you later. Uh, My dad used to say that I would make a good lawyer. And that wasn't a compliment. I'm sorry if you're a lawyer. I love you and God loves you and you do a great work, okay? But he said I would make a good lawyer because I could always make a great case about my grievances. Like even as a young little kid, I would argue with my dad about my case. And I would say, Dad, if you would just think about these seven things, you would understand that I'm right and you're wrong. My dad didn't take very well to that. But that's what we do. We make a case against God. We try to lawyer up ourselves and and think through. Now, God, uh, I started working at 6 a.m. and worked all day. I deserve more money. And, you know, the workers have a good case. They work 12 hours. Some only worked one. Simple math says that I should get paid more because I did more work. This is the response of the master of the house. He says four things. First, He says, you agreed to the terms. You agreed to the terms. In in light of what he's saying and how it corresponds to salvation and seeing other people come into the kingdom and being grateful for what we've been given, we know and should know and have known that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus pays for the sin of all of his saved ones. And his saved ones get to be with God in glory forever. And the alternative arrangement is idleness, death, judgment, and hell. We agree to those terms. And guess what? Our agreeing to those terms doesn't mean that they're not true. If you don't agree to those terms, it's like, well, they're true. So you might as well agree with them. But they agreed to that. They recognized I need what the Savior, the master of the house, has to give. Secondly, the the master of the house says, He is the king of the kingdom, and therefore, he gets to make the rules. How much of your Christian life is spent arguing with the Lord about his rules? The way that he wants to run the kingdom. I have a lot of people who say, They've come from a a religious or a church background and they've said, hey, um, 
man, I don't do that church thing anymore. With that church thing, that there are some stringent rules. And man, God, I don't know. God is really, he's tough. And I just don't know if I want to go back to that. And I want to tell them, do you understand the alternative? If Jesus isn't your king, who is? You. Folks, I would not be a very good king of the universe. I can't even keep my tires on my car inflated to the proper PSI. Go out and look right now. I got a flat tire. Like, if you want to be the king of your life, you are in trouble. Jesus, as the king of the kingdom, gets to make the rules. He says that he choose, uh, chose to give to the last worker as he gave to the first. Third, the king says, or the master says, does the king get to be the king or do you have to be the king? And lastly, he says, the king is superlatively generous. The God of the universe has been superlatively generous to you. How so? All salvation, no matter when or where or under what circumstance, is generous. That word doesn't even describe what it really is. And we should be glad for all those who are born again into the kingdom and get to do its purposes of serving the king. Are you a grumbler or are you grateful? A kingdom person is a grateful person and they let that grateful heart work joyfully for the kingdom. That joy can never be taken away from you. Your salvation can never be taken away from you. And you should respond to God's generosity at this table and glorify Him for saving you and giving you the purpose of His kingdom's work. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful. We're grateful that uh, no matter how long we've known Christ, whether it be a day or four decades, that there is still kingdom work for us to do. We all get paid the same wage, and, and that wage is an eternity spent in perfect, uh, perfection and glory with Jesus Christ. Would you allow us not to feel superior because we've walked with you or we've done some special spiritual work? But you would, uh, would you allow us to feel joy in knowing that many more people need to come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Certainly in other parts of the world that is true, but it's true right here in this city. It's true in our neighborhood. It's true in our communities. Give us hearts that are grateful enough to speak out of the overflow of the joy of what you've done for us. To speak the truth that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. That Jesus Christ alone gives us purpose. 
Thank you for the table, for the body that was broken and the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins and for the nourishment of our souls, the maturity of our walk with Christ. We are grateful. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.